just an experiment. Now that's a good science fair question. <laughs> Is she just an experiment? So this is what she looks like underneath. <laughs> Not so pretty. <laughs> See all of this? Yeah. Yeah, this is her. Mm -hmm. That's my matter. We'll get back to that later. <laughs> uh, so um, it was exciting to hear all of this news about science and technology and breakthroughs and inventioneering. And that, do you want to make your announcement or shall I make it on your behalf? Please you know, she told me, I made a breakthrough. <laughs> I really got excited. I love it when inventioneers have a breakthrough. And I said, can I tell them this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what was your breakthrough? And she said, well, I was coming up to an intersection, and the light turned red. And as I went through the red light, I was breaking. It was a breakthrough. <laughs> That's not, that's not true, by the way. I didn't come up with that. You didn't even break? You just zoomed right through? Okay, well. I always break. I'm wondering if, how many of us can recognize who this is? Can you recognize? You should be able to tell by the ear, huh? Every ear has a pattern. I don't hear what you're saying. Okay, well. I don't recognize it. You don't? I don't. Well, maybe if we made it a little bit closer to you. Now do you recognize it? No, I don't. Now do you recognize it? Oh, my God. <laughs> what <laughs> have you done? I am an experiment. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, well, so wow. that will help you calibrate your expectations. Okay? Okay. <laughs> no, on, a, on a much more serious note, Something really amazing happened this past week, and I am very excited to tell you about it. You know, when I was in the third grade, uh -huh. kind of like this wonderful At student, Atlas. Atlas, that we just met, <laughs> I made my science goals. Do any of you make goals? Do you mm -hmm. set specific goals? I decided these are things I want to achieve in my lifetime, and I wrote them down, and I remember them to this day, just a couple years ago. Of course, I was in the third grade for about 49 years. No, <laughs> no, but this is very serious. One of my goals was, I want to walk on the moon someday. Yeah? Yeah, Elon Musk trying to get me to want to walk on Mars. And, you know, that's exciting. But I, I had that goal. But another goal I had is, someday, I want to see the atom. And I had others. But this week, for the first time, I was able to see an atom. And I wanted to do that for a long time. You say, well, I'm looking at billions and trillions of atoms. But no, I really wanted to see an atom. And as I got older and I studied more and more and I found out that an atom is these very, very, very small electrons zooming around a little nucleus. And the distance between the nucleus and the electron is so big that if you could actually see it, what would you see? The little nucleus or the electric zooming around? Mm -hmm. What would you see? And atoms are extremely small. If you were going to uh, see an atom under a microscope, and I have a wonderful microscope, and it's got 
a thing you can turn so I can change the power. I have 500,000, 2,000 magnification. Well, if you magnify something 2,000 times, you're not even close to getting to see an atom. To see an atom, you'd have to magnify 50 million times. That's a lot. And in fact, atoms are so small, you can't look at them with light. You say, well, why not? Well, light are photons going in waves. And it turns out the waves are bigger than an atom. So you can't use it to focus on, a, on an atom because they're too small. So this has been a very elusive goal that I've had for so long. Then came the electron microscopes. I thought, oh, finally. Electron microscopes shoot a beam of electrons. And they, they go straight, they're small, so they can look at things much smaller than an optical, optical meaning with light microscope, but still not nearly small enough to see an individual atom. And so it's been a thrill for me to be able to finally have a chance to look at an atom. I wish you'd been there. I want to be there. It was, I want to see it was really to neat to show. see an atom. Now, if you're going to look at an atom, you have to have more than just an electron microscope because those are magnified a tremendous amount. But they actually came up with a couple things to make the microscope even more powerful. And one of the things, have you ever uh, looked at something in a flashlight and when it's far away and you make a shadow, the shadow's the size of your hand, but as you move your hand closer to the light, your hand gets bigger and bigger on the wall. Mm -hmm. you ever done that? If you haven't, just get a flashlight, get a wall. Never and, done it. And <laughs> as you get closer and you shine the light around your hand, it gets bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they did with these electron microscopes. Only they shot the beam at the, the sample, the atom, and the beam went through where there was no atom and made an impression on the plate behind. It happened to be a photo plate so they could detect it. But where it was blocked by the atom, it didn't show up. So it kind of made a shadow. And that's the way this kind of electron microscope works. And this is a, a very high-resolution scanning microscope. And it's, they do a lot of samples to get the resolution. And they had to do a lot of things to finally be able to do this. But they were able to do it. Now, one of the problems is getting just a single atom there to look at. And atoms are so small, it's pretty hard. So they made a very, very, very small sample, but it still had a jillion atoms in it. And not only that, the sample was many atoms thick. So it was like a glob of atoms. So how are you going to see this? And I think you'd enjoy seeing this. So first, I want to show you the atoms. Now remember that in a crystal, like quartz crystal, salt mm -hmm. crystal, if you yeah. look at a little grain of salt, it's a crystal. The atoms line up in a pattern. In table salt, the atoms are sodium and chlorine. And they're in a very specific crystal pattern. Okay? Now the particular crystal that, that I'm going to show you is not 
sodium and, and chlorine. It is a crystal. However, and, and you need to look for a barbell. It looks like, you know, a barbell is like two atoms, a littler one and a bigger one, real close together, and then they're all in rows because they're in a crystal structure. And atoms like to do that as they crystallize, okay? So you're looking for those two atoms, and there's a whole bunch of them all lined up. Do you want to see them? Uh-huh. All right, look at this, this clip. Oh, you see, that's it. Yeah, can you see them? Uh-huh. There they are. And let's point at them. So this is kind of the two crystals, gallium and arsenide, and they're like two barbells. Now you're going to say, why is he so excited about that? Because that's an atom. And you say, well, how could you see an atom? Because there's an electron, then there's just lots and lots of space. Mm -hmm. But it turns out when you shoot an electron beams through, the electron gets entangled with the electrons. And so you get to see the whole orbital of all the electrons. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. Now, how do we solve the problem of there's a whole bunch of atoms in front of each other? And there's a little animation I want to show you to see how we do it. They're all random and you can't see through it, but if you turn the crystal structure just right, all the atoms line up Mm. so you can see through. Look at this clip. This shows it. See all those atoms? And if you get just the right angle, you can see right through. Wow. All right? So let's take a look at the atom one more time. Those of you that have a third grade goal of seeing an atom someday, (laughs) here's your chance. Now look at it. You get to see a whole bunch of them. Okay. Here it is. Look at it. Look at those beautiful atoms. Wow. That is what matter is made of. And that's showing you how to look at them. There's the arsenide on the bottom, the gallium on top. I think that's really an amazing thing. It's really neat. There are so many amazing things. So now let's see. I've got to go to the moon. Uh Does it, you know, does it count that I sent one of my boys up there and he sent back pictures? Well, I remember that telling you count. once I wanted to see the northern light, and then you showed me a picture, and you said, now you've seen it. <laughs> I did show her. That was one of my goals. I did show her. I showed, her, did, I showed you this picture, too, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. me. She wasn't very happy about that. But um, there's something today we need to talk about that is absolutely incredible. Okay. And um, it... it It's hard for us to understand how incredible it is, so I'm going to kind of start out. If I were to take a pinch of something and give it to a scientist and say, what is that? You'd look at it and you could study, you'd look at it under a microscope, but how do you know what it is? What's it made of? Mm -hmm. If you make it, you can see the things you put into it, but what if it's just a pinch and you don't know? Scientists have for the longest time tried to be able to determine what a particular material is. What is this made out of? And they came up with various techniques and instruments to do this. One of them is called a spectrograph. And I want to show you kind of a simple spectrograph. Here it is. This is a a device that allows you to analyze a sample under certain conditions and to be able to determine what that sample is. If you have two materials mixed together, or three or four, then the output of a spectrograph is more confusing. Well, as time went on, and as 
we had more and more interest in more accurately knowing what a sample is, spectrographs became more complex. I'd like now show you a picture of a modern spectrograph. Look at this dude. Wow. Everyone should have one of these in the garage. <laughs> and literally, you have to go through a doctorate degree program to be able to run one of these. So you have to have an extremely sophisticated machine and a lot of training, and it's still very hard to be able to tell what a substance is. But when you can do it, it's absolutely amazing. Now, the thing that I want you to realize is how amazing it would be if each one of us had something like that so we could just take a sample and analyze it molecularly and, and know what it is. And the spooky truth is we do. And it's called our smeller. Our smeller. We can smell things. And when we say we smell something, we're an actually analyzing an element and recognizing it. Now that kind of sounds amazing, but you cannot believe how amazing it really is. Smell is awesome. To many animals, smell is more important than vision. They use smell to find their food, to find out if they should eat it and do a lot of things. But how does it work? How can you take an element and just with things inside the living body be able to analyze it to know what it is? Now we say, well, you could taste it. Taste is something we do. We can, we can taste food. But really, our tasters are not very powerful. We can tell if it's sour. We can tell if it's bitter. We can't tell too much else. We can tell if it's sweet. But the way we recognize food is less by tasting it and more by smelling it. And our, our throat actually is connected to our smeller to help us analyze the stuff that we're eating. And I think it would be real interesting to take a deep dive into this for a minute and look at it. The human ability to smell comes from a little teeny thing about the size of a postage stamp that is inside your nasal cavity. And this has little cells that come out, and they kind of look like little spiders upside down. There's little fingers sticking up. But how can they detect a particular element? I mean, that's what these spectrographs are trying to do. How can they do it just with a living cell? And this is something that we've been studying for at least hundreds of years, and it's just been within the last few years that we're actually starting to figure out how the smellers work. Now, I want to show you this picture. See if you can recognize the, the nose. Yeah. And if you notice, right up on the top of the nasal cavity is that yellow thing. There's a thing called an olfactory bulb, which is the little yellow thing on top, and then the little yellow lines down, which are the sensors that are able to detect smell. Now, I'm going to show you on my page here. <laughs> what page is this? Mm -hmm. 
So, ow, this is the mouth. <laughs> and this is the nariz in Portuguese. Nariz. And right up here, the, so the air goes up in the nasal cavity, and right up here, this little white thing, if you can look very careful, mm -hmm. that little guy right there, which, by the way, this model didn't have, so we had to make it out of Scopey. <laughs> yep, there it is, yeah, right good there. Team right there. That little thing is the olfactory bulb. Okay. And it's a place that has these little lines that come out, these nerve lines that go down through the bone, and they actually hook up to sensory. Let, I want to show you another photograph that zooms in a little more on this. Can we zoom into the thing, the camera person? There it is, and let's bring it up. Can you see it there? So up on top, that orange, orangey thing is the olfactory bulb, mm -hmm. and then you see little strands going down, and those round balls down at the bottom, those are the molecules that we're trying to dis decide what they're made of. And then, right between the balls and the nerves, those little teeny spider things. I want to zoom in and show you a picture that shows those little spider things better. Oh, look at them. <laughs> so on the left side, we're looking down on these things. See the little spider things? And on the right, we're looking at a cross section. So it's the same thing. Those little fingers sticking out are the smellers. That's how we find out what something smells like. And wait just a minute. How can they do that? And that's what scientists have been trying so hard to figure out. How can they do it? Some people thought, well, maybe they hook up with certain elements in a certain way or certain molecules. And, and then others had ideas where they measure the size of the molecule. And... Recent studies at Rochester University, just in the last 10 years, have discovered that that's not how they do it. It's interesting. When a substance, the round balls, the, the thing that you want to know what it is, mm -hmm. when those molecules come close to these little fingers, they sometimes connect with this finger. And they do it. In, in a process, an ionic process, which turned out to be quite complex, but very effective. And it turns out that a given element will connect to many of these little fingers, but not all of them. Now, this is where it, gets, it starts to get really, really amazing. Have you ever smelled anything like chocolate? Of course you have. Chocolate is holy. <laughs> right? So Have you ever smelled coffee mm -hmm. or newly cut grass? Mm -hmm. In each of those cases, the smell is actually the combination of hundreds of different smells. Mm. For coffee, it's about 200 different wow. scents all combined in one. And so that means 200 different molecules coming up into the nose. And some of them are going to these different little fingers. And if the right smell gets with the right finger, then the little cell starts sending an electrical impulse back to the brain. And it does it by going to this olfactory bulb, and then the olfactory bulb connects to different places in the brain. 
and it's just a little electrical impulse. But here's the amazing thing. You take one element, you shoot it into the nose, and a bunch of these little fingers send off electrons. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> and they're all different kinds. You put in another one, and some of the same fingers will send off their electrons, and some won't. And there's about a million of these in your nose. And when those little pulses, which are wired back to the brain, are detected by the brain, the brain says, okay, let's see, that one's on, that one's off, that one's on, that one's off. I know what it is. That's coffee. That's amazing. That's really amazing. That's spooky. That's amazing. That's spooky. But think about it for a minute. Smell. Being able to analyze a substance and know whether we should eat it or not, that's pretty darn important. Mm -hmm. Smell is a very important part of safety. Now, one, remember I said this olfactory bulb is connected to different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. and, and this is kind of real interesting to me because one of the nerve connections goes to the part of the brain that stores memories. And so if you have certain numbers of these little bulbs that shoot off, which means it's a certain element, it triggers a memory. And many of you have an experience where you smell something you don't smell very often, and it takes you back to that moment. Could be a funeral. Some people, their kindergarten class. Some place you've been where there's a unique smell, and you recognize it all of a sudden. For years, we've thought that the human nose and brain combination can detect about 10,000 different smells. The new study at Rochester University found out that it's much more sensitive than that. They did an experiment where they took different kinds of elements, mixed them together, and then had a bunch of people smell them. And what they did is they took ingredient A, B, C, D, and E, and they changed the concentration of A so that it was 5%, 6%, 7%, and they tried to see if people could detect it. And in the conclusion of their research, they, they realized that the human nose can detect one trillion different scents oh based on their study and their calculation. Now, we can't remember one trillion cents, but we can tell, oh, that's different than that one, and you can tell between the two. But there are about 10,000 that we can get to recognize. But remember, the brain doesn't know what it is until you smell it, and then it memorizes it, and it's really fast. Have you noticed, any of you that uh, had an experience of getting COVID, Becoming ill with COVID, a lot of people reported that when they had COVID, that their sense of smell went away. Any of you experienced that? And for many people, it lasts a couple months. And when you couldn't smell, it really messes up a lot of things. And a lot of people said, when I had COVID, everything smelled the same. 
And so you lose that wonderful ability of being able to discern things. Some people said when I had COVID, things smelled different. And it makes you kind of appreciate it. Well, it turns out that the way that COVID affects your, your body is that it actually messes up those little receptors. At least that's what the, some of the recent studies are indicating. If you have a bad experience, let's say you were in a burning building and you smell smoke, that is recorded at the memory part of the brain. And if you smell that kind of smoke again, and, and the nose can distinguish between different kinds of smoke, but it smells that kind of smoke again, and it'll, it'll trigger adrenaline and fear because your body knows that's a warning. And yet, it's interesting, if you smell a flower, it seems like universally everybody knows that's pleasant. So there's some smells that are very pleasant. If you smell a skunk, I think pretty much without training, everyone agrees that is not pleasant. And you know, the thing about a skunk is the nose is much more sensitive to skunk than almost anything else. If you want to be able to smell a flower, you've got to have quite a few molecules. And it's so relaxing and inspiring and wonderful. With a skunk, you just need you know one molecule here or there. And clear down to parts per billion can be detected by the nose if it's skunk. And, and other scientists have been studying why. Why is the nose so good at smelling skunk? Because we don't want to let it get too close. Have you ever been sprayed? I haven't. You haven't? Mm -mm. Well, there's always things you can put on your list. You know? <laughs> so, <clears throat> why is the nose so sensitive to the presence of skunk stink molecule? And it turned out to be copper. 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 And it's not just skunk. The, the stink of skunk is a sulfur compound. Mm -hmm. And there are other sulfur compounds too. Some that quite often are not very pleasant. But the whole sulfur, sulfur smelly compound list, the nose is very sensitive to. And it has to do with a reaction with copper. That, uh, and, and that's a whole other study. So there's a lot of things that you can do with these noses of ours. No one knows what they can do. No one knows what they can do. One of the things mm -hmm. that I find really interesting is that you can track a scent. Mm -hmm. You have two noses, and if you smell some, you can tell which way to go to get to it. <laughs> and that's what, that's what canine or dogs are very, very good at. They're good at tracking you. They sniff, and they follow, and they find it. But if you want to try tracking a scent and you plug up one side of your nose, it's kind of like looking with just one eye. With two eyes, we can see in 3D. One eye, we can't. The way we get our three-dimensional perception of distance is by comparing how it looks from here and how it looks from there and how it changes as we move. And the same with scent. If it's stronger in this side and weaker in this side, then it means it's over that way. 
And so it's amazing that we can do those things. Now, dogs can smell a cancerous tumor. And they have to be trained to recognize that's something we want to know about. But actually, dogs are able to determine if someone has a tumor that's cancerous. And that's pretty valuable. There has been a tremendous amount of study by science to figure out how they're doing it. We've tried to make machines that can smell the same tumor and tell whether or not it's cancerous just by smell or by chemical analysis, which is how smell works. And so far, we haven't been able to find out what it is that the dogs are smelling in that tumor to let us know it's cancerous. But they're very reliable in being able to say, that one is, that one's not, that one is, that one's not. Isn't that amazing? And many, many other things. So smell is a very complicated but wonderful thing. And, you know, for some of us, we don't even have to hardly think. We just... We take a lot of things for granted. We literally have this little computer analyzing spectroscopy laboratory right inside our noses. <laughs> like they say, it's right under our nose. <laughs> but now I'm going to throw you a little curve. Things do not smell. There's no such thing as smell. You say, wait just a minute. But I'm serious. There's not. Here's a little molecule. This is some atoms put together in a certain way. And it's not giving off an odor. This molecule doesn't give off an odor. But if it gets by one of those little fingers in our nose, mm -hmm. it either connects and causes this little sensor to open up and give off ions, or it doesn't. And then to trigger electrons to the brain. It's not giving off a smell. Just the molecule being there is detected as being an odor. But it doesn't give off an odor. It's just it senses the molecule. In chemistry, we have two branches. We have organic chemistry and inorganic. And all of you, you chemists know what I'm talking about. Inorganic and organic. Organic chemistry is the family of compounds made out of carbon and other things that react with it. And there are jillions of them. Because the carbon bond is very flexible, so it reacts in very strange and wonderful different ways. And everything else is called inorganic. And that's not nearly as many compounds, but it's where we usually start out in chemistry. When you're taking chemistry at the university, you take a chemistry lab. In organic chemistry, you make hydrogen and you do a lot of things with metals and things like it. In organic chemistry, you make compounds by sticking carbon atoms together with some oxygen, maybe a little hydrogen, nitrogen, a few other things, maybe sulfur. But the interesting thing about many of the organic compounds is they are what chemists call aromatic. Not, not romantic. Aromatic. <laughs> Pay attention. Okay. Aromatic, which means you can smell them. And it's fascinating. You have this molecule, and you just take one more atom, 
and stick it on. Of course, you have to do it in a test tube with a procedure that works to it. But you stick one more atom on, and all of a sudden, you've got this wonderful smell. And many of the organic smells are just wonderful. Organic chemistry is so fun. Quite often, though, when you start putting a sulfur on, <laughs> it turns into skunk or garlic or a lot of the things that we find quite unpleasant. Knowledge is power. And power is what we carry around in our senses, and especially this wonderful sense of smell. In our vision, we look at things and we have incredible power there. Did you know that I have now, with practice, developed the ability that I can look at page A and immediately know who it is? <laughs> you practice that. Huh? Except early in the morning, before coffee. Do you see me in I don't, do, I don't. I don't know if you drink coffee, but anyway. <laughs> Our sense of smell can go detect what these molecules are. And the molecules don't smell. They just are recognized by little smeller sensors in our nose. And we recognize those in a way that is distinctive. And it's fascinating because the same sensor will, will be stimulated by many different chemicals but by the patterns of which ones are stimulated, the brain is able to figure out what it is. When you look with your eyes, you have these little photon light sensors. There's, there's jillions of them. And you only have three colors because you can get all the other colors by mixing those. And that data goes back to the brain and it's able to keep track of the order and to be able to detect patterns. And I can say, boy, there's a bunch of you here today, aren't there? Hi. I didn't know anyone was here. They are. Yeah, they okay. are here. <laughs> Eyes are amazing. Smellers are amazing. Ears are amazing. They have those little hairs. And when a sound wave comes, they vibrate. If the tone is the right frequency for the length of that hair, if you have a high pitch, then these little short ones vibrate. If you have a low pitch, these long ones vibrate. And that all goes back to the brain as little electrical signals. And you say, oh, I can hear something high pitch. And the brain is so clever that it can hear the pitches changing and figure out what you're trying to say. You are amazing. You are a miracle. You are amazing what we can do. And I think you ought to go around and do some smelling. So I have a question. Well, and then I have some advice. But oh, okay. I'm going to save my <laughs> advice until after we plow through this question. And now I'd like to turn the time over to Dr. Peche Monet, who will be asking a question. So some people can smell things a lot differently than others are more sensitive to it. Why is that? Well, some people are just sensitive. <laughs> it's a social-emotional thing. No. Yeah, I Actually, well. the sensitivity depends on these individual sensors. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your sensitivity goes way down when you get a cold, when you're congested, when you've had COVID, when you've had some kind of mm -hmm. damage done. And then some people are just naturally more sensitive to some sense or to some molecules than others. Okay. So it, it 
depends. The, the fact that it works at all is nothing short of a miracle. Yes, is true. It? Okay, I can hear okay your so you want to hear my advice? Mm -hmm. Go hear his advice. Okay, so we've talked about something incredibly amazing today. Mm -hmm. And so I'd just like you to smell good. <laughs> or I guess I could say good smelling. Have a good smell. <laughs> May all your smells be sweet and pleasant. Uh huh. Keep I, going. I just love the fact that we have these gifts. That's and amazing. you know, when people lost their sense of smell with COVID, for example, a lot of people said that it, it made food have no flavor because so much of flavor really is smell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the pleasant things in life are lot lost. When you smell something pleasant, it takes you to memories of pleasant. Flowers, certain kinds of flowers, really do that for me. And I, I get such a sense of peace and relaxation when I smell these beautiful flowers, which makes me then realize that we need to take time to stop. Smell the flowers. Mm -hmm. Enjoy this wonderful gift that you have. It's part of why you are so special, and you can do so much. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>